I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. This week, our guest is Emmy Award-winning filmmaker Jeff Zimbalist, who has a fantastic new docuseries on Apple TV+, Super League, The War for Football. And this chronicles the attempts of, uh, of major European teams such as Real Madrid, Arsenal, Juventus, to form a breakaway European Soccer League in 2021 and the docuseries takes uh, viewers inside what uh is just a, was a remarkable story of uh greed excess culture business the super rich really really interesting don't even need to be a big soccer fan to appreciate the filmmaking jeff zimbalist by the way with his brother michael zimbalist the director and producers of The Two Escobars, which remains one of the best projects ESPN has ever done. So about a 30-minute conversation with Jeff Zimbalist on one of the better documentaries that has come out over the last couple of years, Super League, The War for Football, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. They said at the top, um, I'm excited to have... Jeff Zimbalist on uh, for a number of reasons. One, and we'll sort of uh, give the reason he's here specifically for this. The Super League, The War for Football, that's a four-part series that's airing now on Apple TV. And it documents what was a really, really fascinating moment in European soccer. In some ways, it still exists today, where the big clubs try to form a breakaway League And the big clubs are what you'd imagine, the Real Madrid's and Barcelona's and Manchester City, etc. And the documentary is sort of how um, the Super League formed and how it was ultimately stopped. Jeff Zimbalis is a very accomplished filmmaker, Emmy Awards, including, for the people who listen to this podcast, he and his brother were behind the two Escobars, which even at this date still stands up as one of the singular best 30 for 30s that ESPN has ever done. And I'm pleased to be joined by Jeff Zimlis. Jeff, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you very much for those kind words. Thanks, Richard. You got it. I know this is interview number 427 on this, so I appreciate uh, I appreciate you making some time. It's your, uh, uh, my pleasure. Yeah. yeah, your press schedule's been good. All right, let me just ask you this question, which you've been asked a million times, and then we'll get a little bit more into it. But, you know, given your where your career is now, Jeff, you have a lot of opportunity to choose um, almost any story you want. But there was obviously something about the Super League and these sort of clubs that appealed to you as a filmmaker. So what sort of initially from conception, what was interesting about this story to you where you thought, okay, I could, I can marinate in this and I can live with this for a year or two. And when the story broke, if we flash back to April of 21, it was shocking. It was, you know, a coup d'etat attempt on the highest offices of power within the biggest sports industry in the world 
And it was clearly going to have repercussions far outside the sport that were going to extend into economics and culture and politics. And, and we were watching it unfold real time. And there was, you know, a leak before the, uh, the Super League was even announced formally. And rarely do we get that opportunity to, to lift the hood up and, excuse me, to to look at the machinery at work. Um, You know, this is a $40 billion a year industry where most of the time the decisions are made uh, behind closed doors by men in suits. And we hear about it afterwards and are left to speculate at how we got to those decisions. Um, You know, I think football is in a bit of an identity crisis right now. You know, we're, we're clinging to the values of the the working class people's game of the past while sort of reluctantly accepting um, the inevitability of the present that this is a entertainment business and those two forces were bashing up against each other here um, and this is a chance to so go behind those closed doors and um, see it through the eyes of the men calling the shots making the decisions uh, and sure enough, over the coming three or four weeks after this unfolded uh, back in April, my co-executive producer, Connor Shell, producer Libby Geist and I were on Zoom calls with all of those men. And yes, they are all men uh, on every side of this um, saga. And uh, over the course of the next year and a half, we had the opportunity to make what we think of as a you know, character based thriller uh, that you know, looks at some of these bigger questions, uh, you know, can culture be owned? Who gets to decide? Uh, how do you govern culture? Um, but also to tell the story of uh, betrayals and alliances and um, secret plots and high stakes gambles and leaks and hacks and all of the uh, makings of a thriller. So this is to me why this works. It's because like we have had documentaries on greed before, and on you know barons of finance and stuff but you did two things here one you got access with the principles which was pretty unbelievable given who the principles are and two you were able to get specific footage of the principles doing things whether it's sort of making a you know a dramatic drive to switzerland or um some backstage um meeting of which you know global soccer will go one way or another so two questions on that first whether it's um, Alexander Chekrin, who's the head of UEFA, or Andre Agnelli, who was the head of Juventus and now, as of this late uh, hour, is no longer. You had Javier Tabas. I remember he was awesome. President of La Liga. Uh, Florentino Perez is the president of Real Madrid. You had all these principles, with the exception of uh, Gianni Infantino, talking to you guys in depth on camera. So question one, how did you pull that off? Why do you think they were so willing to give you this kind of access? Yeah, there was a understanding um, independent of our conversations with these sort of top power players. There was an understanding that this saga was not just going to get decided in the court of legal opinion, but that it was going to play out in the court of public opinion. I mean, you had presidents of major European nations speaking out. The UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson threatened to drop a legislative bomb. The royal family was tweeting about it. Um, You have Middle Eastern sheikhs, Russian oligarchs, Asian tycoons of business, hedge fund owners from the US, um, all entangled in this. You had fans 
taking to the street in violent protest and raiding stadiums. So there, there was a, a context here that made it clear that the storytelling was going to play a role. And in our conversations with these guys, most of whom are not public facing in their career, they're the owners yeah. of big clubs, they're businessmen, they have legal backgrounds. And we were saying it's not enough to just sit down and give us the logical arguments for uh, for or against you know your proposals to fix the sport or solve some of the problems of the sport. You need to let us into your life. You, we need to show us the dimensions and humanity, um, sort of put a face on um, these men that we usually think of as kind of faceless tacticians and um, you know working behind closed doors so that fans can identify with you and. Uh, that was probably the biggest challenge of the project. In some cases, it took many, many months um, to really get that across. And uh, ultimately, I think that's what is strongest about the series is that we are you know, attempting to collapse that distance between the decision makers on high and the fan on the street. Um, so that for 15, 20 minutes at a time, you're you know understanding the arguments, but also rooting for the players on one side of the war for football. And then the next 15, 20 minutes, um, you're rooting for and identifying with the players on the other side. Um, that tug of war, that push and pull, uh, hopefully creates a little bit more of a dialogue and, and makes this this incident less divisive um, and perhaps an opportunity to, to communicate. The, so th- this let me ask sort of one uh, you know, film geek question for me. So when, there's there are scenes in the doc where Alexander Trekran is he's in a car and presumably driving to Switzerland for I'll just let my audience know in layperson terms for what is a major sort of meeting being held after he feels he was betrayed by a very close friend of his. Um, this guy uh, Andre Agnelli from. Uh, Juventus we're like obviously I make the presumption there wasn't a camera in Chekrin's car when he made this drive so did you as the filmmaker have to do some reenactments to give the give the viewer the perspective of sort of the moment when this man is making what is clearly a very faithful drive after he believes he's been betrayed by a very close friend yeah, it's the, the visuals on the series are a combination of three uh, different formats. One is the actual archival from those uh, decisive four days, those 96 hours, which include infamous press appearances, um, protests in the streets, uh, and all variety of, um, you, you know, archival uh that, that the journalists and the media were reporting on this. That's that's number one. Number two, um, we were able to shoot behind closed doors with uh, the various different groups, uh, stakeholder groups, uh, the, the European Club Association, UEFA, some of the other governing bodies, some of the club um, uh, governance and owners. And that B-roll, that, that verite that we had, we were able to recontextualize. So say like this is... This is taking place in the weeks afterwards, and we incorporated into the edit um, during the during those four days. Uh, and and then the third is that there are certain sets of shots that were recreated, like Alex driving, 
um, in order to, you know, transport us to those more dramatic moments. In this case, Alex was finding out that his very good friend um, and the uh, he's godfather to Andrea Agnelli's daughter, um, the man that he was supposed to sort of come to an agreement with and end the conflict in the galaxy of football actually has, uh, according to Alex, secretly been plotting with other owners to betray him. Um, and of course, in episode two, we go back and we look at those same incidents through the eyes of Andrea, who has a very different theory about Alex betraying him first. Um, so I'm trying to get into some of those personal relationships and those allegiance shifts. The, um, the, the, your use of uh, pace, for lack of a better word, or movement is just really, really good. You did that in the two Escobars and, and you do this here. And as a viewer, it keeps me very transfixed to the screen. So sort of well done on, on all that. Um, Thank you. One of the things that, man, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be painful, Jeff, for me to praise Connor Shell here for words and pictures, but I guess I'm going to have to do it. Um, the, the thing that I always appreciated from ESPN when they would do a big project and this is specific to Connor Shell when he was at ESPN films is they gave their filmmakers a lot of time. If, if a project felt like it should be, you know, three hours as opposed to an hour and a half, they would fight for it. They obviously did that in their most famous production, OJ Made in America, and it paid off for them, you know, when it came to the Academy Awards and acclaim, et cetera. This is a four-part piece, and it seems like specifically so. I didn't feel like there were any parts of the of your documentary that felt like wasted time or that felt like um, fat. And so I wonder for you, um, did you have like sort of in the back of your mind that like this is like a 200 minute film? Did it did it come to that? Take me through the process of just how the length of this came to be. Yeah, I mean, both with Connor, Libby, Words and Pictures on the one hand, also with Molly Thompson um, and her team at Apple, you know, from the onset, everybody was in agreement that the series should be as long as the content wants it to be, that we're going to let uh, the content dictate, take us by the hand and lead us. Uh, on the one hand, you want it to be long enough that you can get into some of the complex layers of this thing. I mean, for an American audience, you need to explain the entire pyramid system and, um, you know, how promotion and relegation works. You need to give a little context as to why the fans in Europe feel that it's their birthright, that they're the owners of these teams, as opposed to in the U.S., where we feel that, the, of course, the fans are customers. <laughs> of course, this is capitalism. What do you mean, social democracy? <laughs> so th that context felt like it needed enough room to breathe. And we wanted to uh, explain things in a way that, that didn't feel like it was just front heavy and like info, info overload or an essay on sports economics, right? Um, and on the other hand, you want it to be short enough that you can keep the sort of genre elements, the uh, the, the thriller um, components of it, the narrative drama working. Uh, so and we looked at um, the four days when this unfolded between April 17th and April 20th as a great opportunity structurally to have each episode be one of those days. So episode one is day one, episode four is day four. And you have this natural ticking clock countdown into the climactic UEFA Congress, which as you pointed out is like the you know annual state of the sport um, event and where it seemed 
um, in the days unfolding up to it, that either this new proposal uh, would succeed and turn the sport on its head, or it would be the nail in the coffin. And um, we liked that as a structural device uh, to divide into four hours of, of streaming. Uh, but we also looked at the allegiance shifts. So when we talked about Alex Chefren and Andrea Agnelli uh, in episode one, um, that they, they had a switch from being allies to being uh, rivals. Um, we looked at each episode and sort of said, is there a relationship that we can hang this episode on? Um, either two people that start as uh, rivals and become allies or start as allies and become rivals. Those ended up being the two sort of structural devices that we shaped it around. I remember uh, way back in the day when I talked to Ezra Edelman about uh, OJ Made in America, and we had just sort of a little interesting um, back and forth about um, was it important for people to know how Ezra felt about O.J. Simpson. And he made a pretty compelling case that how he felt specifically about Simpson was irrelevant in the piece that he made. So I want to ask you, like, is it important or does it matter? Or should we know how you feel about the two sides of this sort of debate, the the Super League powers who say that football must change and that ultimately uh, the sport will be better from profits sort of filtering top down from the Real Madrid's or the Barca's or sort of the other side, which says that if this Super League ever existed, it's essentially the end of club football. Is it important for the viewer to know how Jeff Zimbalist, the, the producer director of this feels? I, I don't have a formed opinion on it because what I intentionally did was pulled my opinions out and let myself be persuaded by both sides so that I'm sympathetic to both sides. I feel my job is to try to be as um, persuasive for both arguments as possible. And I and I do see the arguments on both sides. And I'm I'm fascinated by how football consistently shows itself to be a mirror of our shifting values at a given moment in history. And I saw this as an opportunity to use this saga, this power um, clash as a, a, a lens through which to look at bigger questions. Um, you know, I will say that of the 30 plus people we interviewed, from all perspectives, experts on all sides of this, including many that saw this as a clear-cut victory for the fan uh, and for UEFA, uh, almost everybody agreed that we're moving from one crisis to another, that inevitably um, there is going to be more knocking at the doors, and that a lot of the issues that led to the April 2021 incarnation of the Super League are still bubbling under the surface, some of them very much on the surface. Uh, and so whether or not it's an extension of this Super League proposal um, that catches steam and, and gains momentum in the European Court of Justice decisions that are expected in the coming months about whether or not UEFA is a monopoly, or whether it's a different incarnation that incorporates some of those ideas in the future. Um, I do think that realistically, there are turbulent times ahead. And um, I think that there'll be some growing pains. Uh, but I also am hopeful that um, the, the roots of the sport that have made it so magical for over 150 years, um, find a way to continue to write the future of the sport. All right, a couple more here, and um, I thought that um, your the reporters that you chose for this, or the the journalists that have covered this, uh, really were well chosen and uh, came out as really thoughtful 
observers in the piece. By now, uh, maybe I shouldn't presume this. Do you know if the those who are the significant participants in this, the the presidents of some of these teams, Chekrin, Tabas, have they seen the documentary yet? That's what's going to be really fun to watch in the coming days is the reactions starting to come in yeah, from everybody. Get to that. Yeah, you know, right. there has been a great press response so far, which I've been thrilled by. And, um, you know, this is as big a story worldwide as it is anywhere. So um, particularly in Europe, we're starting to see some of the responses and uh, it's been really positive so far. Uh, I saw that Javier Tebas um, made a warning earlier that he thinks the Super League is planning another attack. And so, you know, one of the things I found fascinating and impossible to keep up with is just how fast this industry moves. I mean, there's massive headlines almost on a weekly, if you know, if not monthly basis. And um, and things are shifting all over the place, which, you know, suggests that that the film may play into some of those conversations. Um, and there's nothing more rewarding as a filmmaker and a journalist, and when your work uh, starts to inform some of the dialogue. Did you have you um, uh, gotten a chance to watch games, Jeff, in any of these uh, European palaces, whether it's, uh, you know, Camp Nou or Anfield or any of these places? That's one of the perks of the gig. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I did. You know, we went to the we went to the Euro and filmed in the VIP and we were at the Champions League final uh, in 21 and filmed in the, you know, the backstage area and the VIP and the arrivals. And so, um, yeah, not only were we able to attend these epic matches, but also to watch the goings on, um, you know, the the various different uh, decision makers and shot callers interacting with each other around the event and found that really fascinating. All right, two more for you. You know, you, you've, at least in my estimation now, had two very, very successful um, projects where um, soccer is a major theme. You know, the two Escobars is not really about soccer. It's about um, sort of uh, soccer in some ways is sort of a backdrop to sort of narco uh, there. Uh, I'm probably not doing a great enough job on that, but if you've, uh, if you're a sports fan listening to this podcast, you've likely seen that on ESPN. You obviously now have this current doc. Um, we have seen some obviously great soccer documentaries, um, whether on Diego Maradona, um, it's been a couple good ones on Pelé, um, you know, Sutherland till I die was pretty awesome as a, as a documentary that had multiple parts. Are there, is there anybody out there still for you in world soccer? who you would um, invest a significant amount of time in to, to do? I, yeah, I don't think there's any shortage of amazing soccer stories because it's this unique intersection of society and sport. I mean, like, like this story shows that the different diverse stakeholder groups that are invested uh, in this industry covers a you know it's so transnational it's so above government above nation um that you can you can look at it as a microcosm and and so i i i'm excited to keep telling soccer stories um i don't have one in particular that that i have in mind but it's that intersection of the sport and society or that sport and culture uh, or the sport and crime in the case of the two Escobars. That's what excites me um, even more so perhaps than the drama on the pitch. Do you, um, uh, sort of, I think if I remember correctly, you're from 
Massachusetts and would have like your formative sports years like would have been uh you know early 90s mid 90s etc were you like did you did you does your background include soccer like were you yeah I played I did play. yeah, okay um you know I pl- I played the Amer- what what at the time I would call is a very American version of it where <laughs> you know it wasn't the primary sport most of the you know the big athletes in my high school um were being drawn to American football um, during that season, as opposed to soccer. So uh, I played American football some seasons, and I played soccer other seasons. But my big sport was baseball. Um, that's that's ah, really where okay. I, where I excelled in the nineties. Yep. Right. So yeah, Winalda, Lawless, Harks. That's your that's that's the U.S. soccer when you're when you're in that formative years uh, of the nineties playing baseball. Um, it's, uh, yeah, the country yeah. is, uh, and th- those guys weighed good. in on the super league. Lawless was very outspoken. Um, there's actually a, a quote from him in the series where he says, if these owners can build a better competition, that's more entertaining then I'll be a fan, which is a very oh, yeah. simple way of looking at it. It's an American way of looking at it. The super league is sympathetic to that way of looking at it. Of course, that's sacrilege in Europe. Oh, by the way, Alexi taking, uh, the side of billionaires over millionaires or thousandaires. No surprise there, by the way. Um, all right. Last one is this. You know, you the the I would sort of argue that the fact that this already has a massive platform on Apple TV means that you have found success for this. I imagine as a filmmaker, maybe you judge success on sort of how um, what kind of uh, critical praise there is, what viewer feedback is, but. Let me just ask you, like, what is what will success look for you re- regarding this project that you've worked on? Yeah, the reach of it is very rewarding. Uh, that it becomes a part of the conversation around the future of the sport would be unbelievable. Uh, I, you know, I, I this is this is me sort of waxing a little more general, but you know, I feel that media too often is divisive and polarizing and sort of has us doubling or tripling down on things we already believe rather than bringing us into a healthier dialogue with the other side. So I do hope that um, whatever the bias of the viewer is coming into the series, um, that that we allow ourselves to put that aside and try to step into the shoes of the other, the other point of view, the other argument, the other side of the equation in order to get a better understanding of it, to engage with it with more of an open mind. I do think the sport is going to need to find compromises going forward between uh, you know the ideals and the mythology of its past and the inevitability of of its future and the only way to do that is to create some kind of a communication between those two sides jeff don't make me root for fifa and infantino come on that might be a bridge too far (laughs) um the super league the war for football is a four-part series um on um just a real fascinating moment again the kitchens keep saying moment just a sort of a real fascinating story that that continues to be in European football where the big clubs have been interested in forming their own league because they feel that is a way, one, to um, to keep them where they are, to be to continue to be financially solvent, and their argument is, again, that that will filter down to the rest of the sport. Obviously, the, the, the converse to that is that the, that kind of league would end um, what has made club football club football for 100 years. You can find Super League, The War for Football, on Apple TV. It's a four-part series. Um, I wouldn't have had Jeff on unless I thought it was excellent. I, I highly recommend it. 
it's fascinating and quite frankly you don't really have to be a soccer fan to find it fascinating because it's a really really good filmmaker who um, who brings you in and then keeps you interested even if you are a casual sports fan um, Jeff again continued success uh, your uh, you know your work at All Rise Films has always been good and the two Escobars even after all these years still stands up as one of the best things ESPN has ever done so you and your brother should be really really proud of that work and uh, and I appreciate your time today thanks for coming on the Sports Media Podcast Oh, thank you Richard I really appreciate all your kind words it means the world thank you Okay, back in the studio, my thanks to Jeff Zimbalist for his time. And check out that doc. It's, uh, it's very good. If you head to the archives, you should find some uh, stuff you like earlier this week. Chad Finn and Austin Karp joined me for a sports media roundtable. Before that, Al Michaels went uh, about an hour on this podcast talking about his first season on Amazon. We did a uh, podcast on ESPN's coverage of DeMar Hamlin before that a conversation with two of Canada's most prominent sports voices, Tara Sloan and Stephen Brunt. Before that, Malika Andrews and Kendra Andrews also did a podcast remembering the life of Grant Wall. If you like these kind of conversations, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note wherever you get your podcast. Uh, that stuff really helps. I want to thank everybody at Cadence 13. Of course, thanks to Patrick Antonetti, and we'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.